Okay, so before we begin, just to mention, I'll mention before today is, um, today was the 9th of Kislev, Tess Kislev, and tonight is the 10th, Yud Kislev, which are very special days um, in Chabad specifically, um, all connected with the second Rebbe, Doiv Ber. My uncle, his birthday was uh, today. It was today. Yes, today. So and Mrs. Carbo's birthday is tonight. That's how we got Doiv Ber. Years old. So Doiv Ber is actually he's a, he's he was named after his father's after the uh, Mezuzah Magid, right? The um, the Balshemtiv successor was the Magid of Mizrich, that was Doivir, and um, the Magid of Mizrich's successor was the Alter Rebbe, Balatanya. Now the Alter Rebbe didn't have sons for many years. The Alter Rebbe had a couple of daughters, famous daughters, special daughters, but he didn't have a son. And he asked his Rebbe, the Mizrich Magid, for a bracha for a son. And it was the last, the last couple of days of Mizrich Magid before he passed away, and he said. I see you can have a son, and you should give him a name after me. And the Mezid Shemagid passed away in Tovkov uh, Lamed Gimel, I think it was. And the Alti Rebbe, which is, what, 1777, I guess. 1773, the Magid passed away. And a year later, the the Alti Rebbe and his wife gave birth to their son. And he was Doiv Ber, who was the first of a few sons. Um, but he was ultimately the successor to the Alter Rebbe and the second Rebbe of Chabad. And actually the first Rebbe that really became known as Lubavitch because he was the one who moved to Lubavitch. Mm-hmm. The name Lubavitch is a city. Right? The Alter Rebbe never lived in Lubavitch. The Alter Rebbe lived in Liadi and Liozhna. But his son, the Mitl Rebbe, moved to Lubavitch and that's when it became Lubavitch. And um, every Rebbe was unique and great and special, but in different. Each one was different than the one before. And the Mitl Rebbe was very known for lengthy lengthy memorum, lengthy discourses, and he demanded of his Hasidim not only to learn um, learn points and ideas, but to think about them and to contemplate. Um, and he was famous for saying Hasidic discourses for many hours in Rashat. And his Hasidim were able to listen and follow. And it was um, he demanded that he's called the level of Bina of Chabad. The Alter Rebbe was Chachma, the basic ideas of wisdom. And the Mitla Rebbe expounded um, and you have um, memorum of the Alter Rebbe that are maybe one page, and his son, the Mitl Rebbe, writes a memorandum explaining it for 30 pages. This, this, was, this is not uncommon. He would expound and explain and give examples and so on. Um, and he brought Hasidus to a whole different level in that way of expansion and the way he explained things. And um, it's just, let's say one more thing, is how each Rebbe was very interestingly connected and different than the predecessor. So in their form of Aveda, the Alter Rebbe, when he would daven, or say Hasidus for that matter, was extremely, um, that's what I'm looking for, he was so excited that he would jump and he would dance and he would, the Alter Rebbe would bang the walls, very when he, very animated. He would bang the walls when he would daven and sometimes his hands would start gushing blood. So, and he didn't realize because he was so involved in his davening. So what they had, they padded the walls. <laughs> <laughs> this, is not, this is not a joke. Around where the Alter Rebbe Davin, they had to pad the walls for his safety because he kept on hurting himself. This is like brought down in stories? Yeah, yeah, it's a tradition. Not only that, sometimes in the middle of the mimer, when he was saying Hasidus, he would, he would roll on the floor and do somersaults on the floor while he was saying Hasidus. That's why sometimes in the memorial that, that are written over from him, 
they're missing parts because it says we couldn't catch that. You know, he was you know at the other end of the room, and yet one specific chassid who was able to was it was called the chizer, the one who was able to give over the teachings, and he was, his greatness was that he could run after the rebbe and still re- remember and retain everything. So you know, so, so there's no video of this, but yeah. this is what we have the altar. His son, the middle rebbe, was the exact opposite. When he would daven or learn or say chassidus, he was like a stone for hours, wouldn't move. Mamash wouldn't move, wouldn't see what's going on around him. Nothing. And that's how he was. And he wrote an entire book. It's called Kuntris Hahispailus, which is a entire, to, to explain why one shouldn't expend, you know, that type of external energy. One should be but focused. Is, but isn't that sort of like um, an insult to his father? I don't know what to tell you, but um, when well, it comes to... Sometimes kids tr- like well, to well, turn out opposite of the parents. Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Avram was chesed, Yitzchak was gevura. Each tzaddik, each rebbe and tzaddik um, was expressing a different midas and different uh, ways of avedas Hashem. All of them are important, all of them necessary, and yet each tzaddik brought out certain ones. And he was the one who was learning the baby was... Right, yeah. right, right, right. So it's all, it's all connected, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Right, right. They say they what? Bled right. About the Mitla Rebbe said, that his son of the said that if you cut his finger, Hasidus would pour out. Now, it's hard to understand what that means, but it wasn't said about any of the other the Rabbeim. There was something uniquely special about his total immersion and total devotion and focus, on the, uh, specifically on the teachings of Hasidus. Um, I just told my wife, who was just talking in the house, this is a story that's not a good story to share. It's definitely not good for Shalom Bias courses or anything. But when the Mithra Rebbe was, was uh, they were going to get married, so there was different names that were mentioned as options for, for a wife. And they asked the Mithra Rebbe, so what do you think? So he says, whichever one will be, the Shidduch can happen quickest. Because I want to hear the, the Maimarim of Hasidus from the Hasna already. But it says, it really doesn't matter. Just whichever one can be quickest, because I'm waiting for the Hasna. I need the Maimarim. I'm waiting for so many years already. So anyway, so that's not a Shalom Bayez story. But the Rebbe says Shana. 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 Anyhow, so today is his birthday and yard site. Passed away on Tess. Um, it was born and passed away on the same day, um, on the 9th of Kislev, which is something else that's unique to certain Sadiqim, that their birthday and your side is on the same day, like Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? The Gemara says about Moshe Rabbeinu that he was, his state of perfection was such that even physically the years were exact. Everything was perfect. That Neula, uh, that he was born and passed away on the same day. And from our Rabbeim in Chabad, the Mithra Rabbeinu was the only one who, who saw that uh, literally he was born and passed away on that date of Teskis, the 9th of Kislev. Um, and one year earlier, on the 10th of Kislev, was when he was liberated from prison. He was in prison also because of a whole trumped of charges against him, but it was a very uh, severe type of a, um, of a trial against him. And he was liberated on the 10th of Kislev. And therefore in Chabad, the 10th of Kislev, which is tonight and tomorrow, is considered one of the days of Geula, a day of redemption. Um, there are three such dates on the Chabad calendar, which are called Chag Geula. One is Yud Kislev, next week, the Alter Rebbe's Geula, Yud Beis Tamus from the Friedrich Rebbe, and Yud Kislev. And those are the three dates on the Chabad calendar that we don't say Tachnun, actually. Um, t- typically in Chabad we say Tachnun on all yard sites and birthdays and everything. Generally we say Tachnun. But these three um, Chag HaGeulas are the exception because of their power of Geula. So definitely it's a special date, a date for Geula for everyone in all the areas that we need Geula. 
and for the great Gula that we were waiting for with Mashiach and Yitzhah Hashem. So that's just uh, about today. Um, we are holding in the middle of the second bracha before Kriyashma. And that is um, in the sitter that I am using on page 45. Um, some, some of the siddurim around the table are mine. English translation, page 41. And that is the bracha Ahavas Oilam. Right? Um, we mentioned that Kriyashma is this uh, very central mitzvah that we have which we'll discuss more tonight, Emir Hashem. And in order to enable us to experience Kriyashma properly, the Chazal um, created the brachos before and after Kriyashma. And the way we have it in our Siddur is we have two brachos before Kriyashma and one after in the Kriyashma of the morning and in the evening, two before and two after. Um, so we're working our way through the brachos. I heard once that in this paragraph, Anava is mentioned seven times. Okay. Which is also very, I think it's uh, whatever, it lends itself to Shema. Interesting. Interesting. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, Thank you. In general, the idea of seven is interesting because there's seven brachas of Kriyashma, right? There's three in the morning and four in the evening. You're saying here the word Ava is mentioned seven times. Interesting. Um, we discussed that the first bracha before Kriyashma uh, went, discussed primarily angels. And the Aveda of the angels and how great they are and the different levels of angels and the Kedusha that they, that they, that they themselves um, are and that they give to Hashem. We talked about the Eifanim and the Chayis HaKodesh and the Seraphim and the tremendous, intense Aveda of the angels. The second bracha goes from angels to us and talks about Hashem's unique love for us, for His nation. And that's, it's really a, um, the contrast. Then on the one hand, the angels are so spiritual and holy and lofty and so on, and so much greater than us as far as spirituality is concerned. And yet, although there's all those angels and all that Kedusha going on, Hashem, so to speak, goes away from them and says, I choose to connect myself to the, to the people down here. And that's how we begin. <laughs> that Hashem loves us with an everlasting love, Hashem Elokeinu. So interestingly, and I know we discussed some points about Ava Solom already, but there's points that I didn't that I want to discuss now. Ava Solom Avtanu, Hashem has this everlasting love for us. Hashem Elokeinu. His intense love is in the fact that he's called Elokeinu. That he, he uniquely connects himself to us. He's not called Elokei Hamalochim. He's, now, of, of course, God is the God of everything. But when it says Elokeinu, we're saying that he connected himself to us, that he's our God. He, 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 um, he makes himself ours, so to speak. And interestingly, another point is we say Ahavas Olam. In other Sidurim, other Nuschos, the Nusach would be Ava Rabba. And we say Avas Olam. And, and it's a halachic question. And Gemara talks about the two, the two ways of saying it. Avas Olam, Ava Rabba. Now, which type of Ava is greater? So typically, the way it's explained in Hasidus, Avas Olam is a limited type of love. It's a love that's connected with Olam, which is the world. Ava Rabba is a greater love, like a limitless type of love. And yet, we choose, or the, not we, but the Nusach that the Alter Rebbe chose for davening for us, is to say, Avas Olam Avton, not Ava Rabba, a great love, 
but a love connected with the world, he loved us. Why that decision? So in Tanya, the Alter Rebbe explains it. And he says, because really the idea of this second bracha versus the first is that even though there's, you have all these great malachim and angels and, and high spheres and so on spiritually, but Hashem chose to invest His Ava to us down here in this world. And that's why it's Ava's Olam. That Hashem's Ava He brought into this Olam. So yes, one might think that Ava Rabba talks about a greater love, but the truly the greatest love is when one wants to go into a, lim- a limited place for the one that they love. A place that's a place of limitation, a place that's a smaller place, a narrower place, so to speak. And Hashem, because of His great love for us, um, is willing to invest Himself down here in this world, and the physical, and things that are not as uh, holy and spiritual and beautiful as the angels, because of that love that He has for us. And that's why it starts with Avas Oilam Ahavton. Okay. Um, we discussed, I'm, I'm going to go further in the bracha. Now, we discussed last week, we w- talked about the, um, well, actually two weeks ago, last week we didn't have a class. Um, we discussed about the different, uh, we're asking for Hashem to help us in our service of Him. Um, and we discussed about the idea that the same bilibenu bina, that we ask that the understanding that we have should reverberate in our hearts. It shouldn't just be intellectual, but should it be emotional. And to bring together all aspects of our heart in service of Hashem. These are ideas that we discussed. In the, in the second or the end part of the bracha, we're asking really for the ge'ula. Right? Mahir v'havi aleinu bracha v'shalem mehera. About halfway down on page 45, if you're following in this sitter. Um, again, the last seven or eight lines of of this bracha before Kriyashma. So we ask Hashem to bring us peace and, and blessing and to bring us peacefully from the four corners of the earth and to break the, um, the bondage of the different nations from, 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 from us and to bring us back to our upright, to our land, because you're a, you're a Kikel, because Hashem is a Poyal Yeshua, so he brings us, affects salvation. And then we say, Uvanu Vacharta Mikol Am I want to talk about that for a moment, or a couple of moments. We say that Hashem chose us from amongst all nations and all languages. Hashem chose us. And with that, we also finish the bracha, Baruch Hashem, HaBocher Ba'amo Yisrael Ba'ava, that He chose His nation, Klal Yisrael, with love. This is, this is a very central concept. We don't, we don't talk about it a lot during davening, but it's mentioned. The concept that we are the Am HaNivchar, that Hashem chose us. Um, famously, where do we talk about that in davening? Which famous tefillah do we say? Um, actually, on Yom Tov. On Yom Tov in Shmon Esri, we say, Ata V'chartanum. Right, it's in the Shmon Esri, Ata V'chartanum, Mikol Amim, a famous Chassidish Nigan also, that Hashem chose us from amongst all the nations. But interestingly, and perhaps we'll get to that, we only say that in the Shmon Esri of Yom Tov. We don't say it in a Shabbos Shmon Esri, we don't say it in a weekday Shmon Esri. So it's really only a couple times a year that we say the Atta V'chartanu. I'm sorry? In Kiddush. Right, right. We, say, we mention it in Kiddush. But in Shmon Esrei, it's specifically in the Shmon Esrei of Yom Tov, not Shabbos, not weekdays. But where do we mention it every day of davening is right here. And in Shulchan Aruch and Alacha, it says that really when one says that Hashem chose us, what should one remember at that time? Har Sinai, the giving of Torah. 
Because that is when that Bechira happened. That's when that choice happened, when Hashem chooses us from amongst the nations of the world and made us His own, so to speak, was by Harsina. Now, which this raises, I'll say, two questions. Um, one is, what does it mean Hashem chose us by Harsinai? After all, um, we, we already were related. We had the Aves, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, um, which we're learning about them every day these days in the Chumash of the week, the Shvatim or Tzadikim. So what does it mean that Bechira happened only by Harsinai? That's one question, an, an interesting question that Hasidus talks about. But a, a more, an, an, or another question is, what does it mean when we say that Hashem shows us from amongst all the nations? When you talk about choice, um, really, when you have two things that are totally unequal, choice is not necessary. Right? I don't have to really choose if I have on the table a diamond or a piece of dirt and I chose the diamond. That, that's not much of a choice. Choosing really means when you have two things that are really the same and you have to make a choice, a tough choice. It's not clear. But when something is perfectly clear, when there's no real comparison, there's no real choice. Now, within us, there is a neshama. There's a godly soul. A chelik alokami mamash, the second soul, the godly soul that is what makes up a yid. So when you say Hashem has a Jew and a non-Jew here and he's going to choose the Jew, what, what's the choice? One has a part, a chilek alakami mal mamash, that soul that creates that that person should be a Jew. And one doesn't have that soul, there's no fault of his own and he has whatever he has, but it's not the same things. It's apples and oranges. If I have an apple and an orange on the table and I'm hungry for an apple, it's not a choice. I want the apple, not the orange. So where is the Bechira? So the Alter Rebbe in Tanya, talks about this famously um, in chapter 49 I'm going to say I think I think I'm pretty sure and there he goes through the Brichas of Kriyashma he talks about the love of Hashem for the Jewish people and he says Ubanu Bacharta is Beguf Hagashmi Shenidme Bechumriyusai Leumesayla he says it wasn't it's not the soul if Hashem has to choose the godly soul, then there's, only, there's a godly soul here, there's not a godly soul here, that's not a choice. But there's the human being. Forget about the godly soul. There's a body, there's a human being. And when Hashem chose Klal Yisrael and said that this is my chosen, chosen nation, He wasn't just choosing their godly soul, because that's, again, not, not choice. He was choosing the person, that these human beings are going to be my vehicle in this world. That's what the altar of says. He says in one line, one line in Tanya, that the Bechira was in the guf, was in the body of the Jew. And interestingly, which, which, which leads into an interesting conversation, because that means that there's a certain relationship between the body of the Jew with Hashem, in a sense more so than the soul of the Jew with Hashem. And that's interesting, because we always think the body is physical, it's just, just a body. It's very physical, very, you know, it's a body. Every, like, like every person in the world, like, like animals, it's all, it's a body. The soul is what, where we're special. Soul, godly soul, etc., etc. And here we're saying, no. The Bechira, that choice that comes from Hashem's essence, that comes from, that, that's the body. So, there's two points I want to make. But first one point is, I'm sorry if I'm, if I'm dropped confusing here, to answer the first question we asked, which was, what does it mean the Bechir was by Matan Torah? Didn't Hashem love the Avos and so on? The answer is yes. But by, by the Avos, it was the soul. It wasn't the body. And that's why when it comes to the Avos, they were Jewish. But were their children? 
dependent on the child. If you wanted, you were in, if not now. In other words, the, the Jewishness wasn't cemented in them as human beings. If they chose to serve God, then they had a godly soul. So if Avram's son, who's Yitzchak, chose to go in his father's ways, then good, you have a godly soul too. If Esav didn't want, so he was out. Or Yishmael was out. And because the, the godliness was a spiritual thing, that if you wanted to be spiritual, you had it. What changed by the giving of Torah? That our Jewishness wasn't, is not a spiritual thing anymore. It's, it's spiritual, but it's part of who we are physically as human beings. So if I'm Jewish, if I have a Jewish wife, a Jewish mother, has children, those children will be Jewish, even if they're very not spiritual in their behavior. Because it became cemented in the body of the Yid. That happened by Matan Torah. And that's where Bechira was involved. Right? So by Matan Torah is when it wasn't just about spirituality versus not spirituality anymore. Now there was what we call the Bechira, that choice that Hashem has in the guf, in the body of a yid, that this becomes a vehicle for a neshama, and this is the body of a yid. And therefore, if that's a yid, so that their children are going to be yid, and that's how it's going to go for all the generations. Now, so what's the relationship of Hashem with the neshama? If Hashem's relationship with the body of a yid is that he chose it, bechira, what's the relationship of Hashem with the neshama? There is not choice. What is it? It's a part of him. So it's like, for example... <coughs> For example, the simplest example is you have a person's relationship with their children versus the relationship with their spouse. Right? Famous old discussion, like which, which relationship is deeper or greater? Children or spouse? So, it depends which way you look at it because on the one hand, the children, I didn't choose. Right? But, and that's an inseparable relationship. Like you can't, I mean you could decide not to talk to your child. But they're going to be your child anyway. And ultimately, it's... What, I'm sorry? You can't divorce your kids. You can't divorce your kids. And you could divorce a spouse, which means with a spouse, you can cut it one day. You could. And it's done. It's not happy, but it's well, something, whatever. But it could be done. Right? Now, what does that mean? Or better said, why could it be done? It could be done because we chose it. If we chose it, we could unchoose it. Right? Children we didn't choose, so we can't unchoose them. Right, because it's it's a choice. It's a choice. There was no relationship, and two people chose to connect. So you chose to connect. You can choose to disconnect. So that you know, that side of the argument is that the relationship with the children is deeper, because it's there. It's in the blood. It's nothing anyone chooses. You can't unchoose. So there's an argument saying that the relationship with children is greater. And parents is greater because it's inseparable. It wasn't created by choice. It's just, that's part of who I am. It's part of me. And yet, in, in life, the relationship with the spouse is deeper. That's the one you live with throughout life, hopefully, if, if it works out well. And the, the bond that's shared is in many ways deeper than that which is shared with children or parents. Because it's what I chose. So, on the one hand, what I choose is not as cemented as what's naturally there, because it's a choice, and therefore, as we said, can be unchosen. On the other hand, because it's what I chose, so that's where my very essence gets involved in a deeper way than that which I'm connected to without choice. Interestingly, Hashem's relationship with our neshama, 
versus his relationship with our guf is like these two relationships. Hashem with the neshama is like a child. It's part of Hashem. Right? The, the soul is a part of Hashem. So it's like a child, which is a part of the parent. It's inseparable. It's there. It's one. They think the same way. Right? Many times a person thinks the same way more with their child than with their spouse. Because the child comes from me. The spouse has a whole different way of thinking. Right? And some children are like the spouse. That's how it works. But, but um, so Hashem with the neshama is like a father and a child. And that's how Hashem's relationship with Avram Avinu was. And Yitzchak. It was Ava. It was a relationship of oneness, of a neshama. Matan Torah was marriage. Matan Torah is always called marriage. Right? The Nisuin, so many things that we do by our chasnas even come from Matan Torah. The chuppah, everything, it's all Matan Torah. Matan Torah is when Hashem started relating to us not only like a parent child, but as a partner of marriage, someone who he chose. And once he was choosing, so was the body also, not just the soul. It wasn't about the part of us that's one with him already. It was about the part of us that looks different. And that's what we mean when we say Yvonne Vacharta, that the, the choice of Hashem, the choosing of Hashem, which happened specifically by Matan Torah, was when the guf becomes an equal, when I, I'm, I'm Jewish as a human being, not only I have a neshama, it's not like I have a soul. No, I'm a, I'm a Jewish person, and that's the person that Hashem chose to be his ambassador of light to this world. Yes? But the body of a Jew and the body of a non-Jew are not the same. One sourced includes his yoga, one is not. So Hashem is insensitive to that? That's a good question. Um, that our bodies are sourced from a different place than a non-Jewish body. The klipas noga, which is a klipa that you can elevate, and a non-Jew doesn't come from there. So how is this an equal choice? There's different ways of answering that question, and I don't know exactly. I don't know which would be the best way. A simple answer would be that that's maybe what Hashem chose then, that it should be that way. That could be the easiest way out of that one. That when Hashem made that choice is when He created that, that differentiation. Um, also, it's not, not all bodies of non-Jews are in Shalosh Klipas Asmeos. There's something called Hasidi Umas Olam, the righteous Gentiles, which come from Klipas Noga. So that's not such a divide. A righteous Gentile is a Gentile, not a Jew though their body is coming from Klipas Noga. So it's, it's, not, a, it's not a perfect um, mechitza either. So that's another way of dealing with that, and perhaps others, but that's, that's, just, that's for them. I want to, yes? So, so when we say that it, Jew can never convert, that's because the neshama is always connected. Like a kid can never not be a kid. Yeah, yeah. Sim- simply, simply said Right, exactly. In in a sicha in 1973, the Rebbe added an, another twist to this. A very interesting twist that I want to share. Um, that I came across in preparing this year and was very interesting to me as well. Um, he says, so the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya that Hashem chose us because of our bodies, not our souls. He says that's odd. I mean, it's like going to the store that sells these diamonds and say, give me that diamond because I want the paper bag. <laughs> I like that paper bag. Put in a couple diamonds. I want the bag. 
It doesn't make any sense. The soul is holiness, is spirituality, is beauty. A body is a body. That's what it is. At the end of the day, it's a body. It's born and dies. So Hashem, He got so excited about our bodies. Like, what does that? What does it really mean? I mean, we say it, it says it in Tanya. The Alter Rebbe says, because otherwise, what's the choice? I understand that. But what does it mean that He chose our bodies? What's so beautiful about the body that that's what Hashem chose to be His nation? So the Rebbe just added one concept that's maybe, it's, it's probably the, the, the simple pshat. The Rebbe said, it's not he's looking for bodies. He was looking for our avoda with our bodies. In other words, there is spirituality, holiness, davening, and then there is the fact that we're able to take something physical and make it holy. And when, it's, when, when the Alter Rebbe writes in Tanya, that Hashem chose us for our bodies, what that really means is Hashem chose us not for our spirituality as something abstract, but for the way our, our neshama is able to affect our bodies and our midos, our very, our very um, coarse midos sometimes, and make them spiritual and make them holier so that our, our, um, our physical pursuits and the things that we're doing all become holy. That's what he was looking for. So he could see the potential of our bodies that when our souls were going to be in these bodies, that these bodies had that potential. Exactly, exactly. Which, which means, he wasn't choosing body over soul. He was choosing the avoda that the soul is going to do with the body. And that's why he's looking for Jewish people. He wasn't looking for Jewish neshamas. I'm not creating a nation of souls. I'm creating a nation of people that are going to use their souls to uh, refine and elevate and bring spirituality to their body and all the physical aspects of what we do, which is most of our day, is physical. And yet we're able to make them holy and special and refined, and that's what Hashem was looking for. Yes? This reminds me of the class we went to yesterday, the Aboda of Atzadik and a Valley Chuba. It's like the soul and the body. Exactly. Exactly. So, so they're all very interconnected, very interconnected. And he says something else, said something very interesting. He says, a person who's not Jewish also can do a lot of avodah with their body, and can refine themselves and work on their midos and so on. But typically, when one works on their refining themselves, there could be two um, motives behind refining oneself. One is because I realized that uh, just like a person grows out of certain bad habits. I realize this is a bad habit. It's not, I want to grow as a human being. I want to be a better person. So I refine myself to be a better person. And, and I might change my eating habits or my speaking habits or my whatever because I want to be better. I want to be more successful. I want to be more well-liked. And that's all refining my body, but that's, not, that's without Kedusha, without holiness. When a, when a Jew is working on refining their midos and refining the way they're acting, it's not just so that I should be better and that I should be more well-liked or more successful, but that I should be more godly, more selfless. And that's really what a Yid's Avedah is about. Not only to uh, you know, refine myself in a sense of not being gluttonous because it's not good for me. Like, uh, this is an example. Um, Hasidus talks about the concept that a person should, um, the, the uh, concept of Kaddish Atzmecha B'Muterlach, which means to sanctify oneself even in, even in permissible areas. Um, Ramban talks about that a lot. In other words, not just uh, because there's food, I should eat whatever there is, even if it's kosher. Even if it's kosher, there's something called self-restraint, which is 
I'm, I'm eating for a purpose, not just because there's something that makes me feel good, right? So that is trying to bring spirituality into my regular eating habits and behavior habits and so on, making it more spiritual, making it more, more holy. So I remember teaching once a class about Eskafia, and someone says, okay, what if I'm just eating less because I'm trying to lose weight? Is that Eskafia? It's a good question, right? Because I am holding myself back from doing things that I would want to, and that's a good thing. It's also good to lose weight, right? But it's not holy. If I'm doing it because I want to look better, so it's a good thing, I'm nothing, nothing wrong with it. But that doesn't become a vehicle for holiness per se. When I'm doing it because I want to temper the midos of my animal soul, because I want to say, I want to say, I want to be more of a spiritual person, more connected to Hashem, then that very same act has a holy side to it. So I'm refining my behavior. Now, sometimes it's okay to refine my behavior, not for holy reasons, just to become more refined. It's okay, but it's not holy yet. So when Hashem chooses the vode with our guf, it's bringing holiness into our guf, bringing holiness into our day. That we shouldn't just have be you know, find nice people, but to be holy people, be Hashem's people, be Hashem's nation. And that's where the Bechira was. That Hashem says, this is going to be a nation who's going to be human, they're going to eat, they're going to sleep, they're going to do the work and do everything what regular human beings do, but they're going to bring holiness into that. And that's where the Bechira of Hashem was. And that's where that, that marriage, so to speak, with us as, 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 as people of body and soul together. And when our body and soul work as a team together, then our relationship to Hashem is both of the father-child and the husband-wife. We have both together because there's the soul side of me and the body side of me. When my soul is working within my body, and remember, the soul is related to Hashem like a child, the body like a spouse. When they work together, it has both advantages. It has the inseparable power of the child and it has that deep bond that comes from the one who I chose. And together, a body and soul are connected to Hashem on both levels together. Which is, if it's properly directed, that's a very, very important and very and a very spiritual avoda. There's the concept in Torah of Sheva Misas Bnei Noach, um, and the Rambam writes in Halacha that when a non-Jew is fulfilling the seven Noachide laws, like not killing and not stealing and whatever, so you could be doing it just because it's the basis of a moral a fabric of a moral society, or I could be doing it because God said so. And Rambam says, when is one considered the righteous Gentiles of the earth that they get Olam Haba and so on, is when they're doing it because God said so. So if a person is not stealing and not killing, it's a good thing no matter what, whatever they're thinking. But if they're doing it because we want to have a good society, then it's not godly. It's good, it's worthy, it's, it makes for a better place to live, but it's not godly. But if that same non-Jewish person is doing it because there's, there's one God in heaven and that God gave rules for mankind, then he's infusing godliness in, according to the ability of a non-Jewish person into the world around him. So they have to know about the Shevon. Right, right. And that's interesting. It's an interesting concept because some people don't know that. People think as long as people are acting morally, so they're good. And they are good. But if they want to be godly, then it's doing it because God said so. And then it becomes different. You know, when, Our God said so. Like not what they think. There isn't different gods. There's only one. <laughs> <laughs>
No, but, but you're saying uh, if they're going to the seven mitzvahs right. and they're thinking of God, they could be thinking of their God. So what's... So... What? No, because it's against the Vodazara. That's one of the rest of the mitzvahs. See, it depends when you say their God. A, a lot of the things, their God is the same God anyway. Because even in their mind, it's the same God. It's the creator of the world. They might not know his name, but it's the same concept of a creator who, who gave the moral fabric for the world. You know, if they think that their God is a human being, that's a problem. If they think that it's something else, a problem. But if, they, if it's the one operating power of the world, but they don't know, you know, the names, that doesn't change of who we're talking about. We're talking about the same creator, right? Yeah, because the seven mitzvahs include no Zara. Right, right, obviously, no, not idolatry. I was, Could this year... Could possibly do the seven mitzvahs and still do the other things that are, you know, chatzmach or whatever... No. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a good question, and I would have to be more knowledgeable in the actual halachas of what those other things are. So I don't know. You know, a lot of things are for sure not a problem. Some may be. I, you know, I, I don't. One would have to really know religions well to know the so answer people, to that question. So people who are considered Shavu mitzvahs people, they do they, 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 they don't believe they don't believe in Yashvi. No, for sure yeah. not. No. I don't know. I, don't know. I was this year. This year, I was in, in your Jewish basis. They, 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 they know that these are the seven mitzvahs that they have. Seven Noachid laws. Okay. It's from the Torah. This year I was in Israel and I approached a person on the street in, in uh, Jerusalem, Ben Yehuda Street. A guy, guy walking with a son or whatever. I, asked him, I heard him speaking English. So I figured, I asked him, would you like to put on tefillin? He says, no, 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 no. I'm Bnei Noach. I'm not Jewish. I said, then he tells me, are, are you Chabad? <laughs> I said, yes. He says, because I go to a Bnei Noach class given by Chabad, I think in Toronto, I think he said. He says, I've been to 770. <laughs> I know what I do and what I don't do. And tefillin is not one of my things. Right. It was very, uh, it was him and his son, it was a daughter, it was a whole family, and they were visiting Israel. I'm sorry? At some point, right? They have a special... If you want, if you go, you go, you go on the internet, type it in, but in no actually, miss this will come up a lot about it, tremendous amount. All they do is they study they know. They study the laws for they know. I feel bad if they're going through all the trouble to do all that. You know. The Rambam writes. The Rambam writes that Olam Haba. They'll get Olam Haba, and they're fulfilling their purpose of creation. And in Tanya. In Tanya, the Al-Tarev is very strong about it, that when Mashiach will come. So the revelation is not just for the Jewish people. It says that the Jewish people have the level of revelation that, and that revelation will come to all different nations, everyone according to their avodah, and he brings a number of psukim. A number, in the end of chapter 36 of Tanya, like five, he brings five quotes of, of psukim and Shemun Esrei, that the idea of coming of Mashiach is that every nation, everyone will come to that realization of Hashem. And through, and, and really, the Rebbe said that's something we should be working on now when we have the ability to reach out and touch someone who's not Jewish to bring them into that and to teach them about it. You have to understand, most moral people are anyways basically doing them. So just a question of bringing the godliness into it, that that comes from God and there was a revelation. And, if, you know, the other thing is, I'm, I'm going off course, but the, the giving of Torah and the Matan Torah is in the Bible. And the Bible is the is the basic work of every belief. And it's the oldest book in print, and it's the bestseller every single year. And we're not making this, it's not like it's something I thought of last week. The, the fact that there's a God, and He took us out of Egypt, and there's a revelation, and He gave the mitzvahs, and then we just have to teach what they are, and for every person, what their responsibilities are.
Okay, all of this brings us to the Shema. So, um, really, we've been leading up to this for a couple of weeks. We have a, a few moments. Let's start one idea in the Shema, and then we'll continue next week in the session. Recordings? It's all recorded. You have to tell me a phone number. Okay. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. This is the, perhaps the most central statement of our belief. It comes from the Torah, obviously. Chumash in the parsha of Eschanan. Um, and this is the mitzvah, the primary mitzvah that the whole davening really is based around, is saying the Kriya Shema in the morning. Um, for a man, it's a positive commandment to say Shema in the morning and to say Shema again by night. For a woman, we discussed it's not a positive commandment because it's time-bound. And yet, it says very clearly in Halacha that if a woman could, she definitely should say Shema um, in the morning and at night, if possible, because this is the basic time of the day of Kabbalah's Ol Malchus Shemaim, when we accept the yoke of heaven. That is when we say the Shema. And really, everything we've been discussing till here is really a lead-up in order to bring us to this statement of Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. Now, so there's, there's a lot to discuss about it, obviously. I, I want to focus for the 10 minutes left here on one concept, which is that the focal point of this Pasuk is the oneness of Hashem. The word Echad means one. Shema Yisrael, hero Israel. Hashem is our God, Hashem is one. The concept of the oneness of Hashem is a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah in the Torah. In other words, there are 613 mitzvahs. One of the mitzvahs, or the first according to some countings, is to believe in God. Mitzvah uh, emuna, believe in God. Mitzvah number two is to believe in the oneness of God. It's a separate mitzvah. On top of the concept that we believe in God as an existence, but also to believe that there is one God. What is the, what is the meaning of that mitzvah, to believe in the oneness of God? This is a very, very broad subject discussed in great length in Hasidus. What, is, what does the mitzvah mean? What is, what's the simple meaning of that mitzvah? That's not enough that we believe in God, we believe in the oneness of God. So there's a number of correct answers to that question. For now, I want to talk about three. three the three basic ideas of what's the mitzvah of Achtos Hashem. So the, simple, the simplest of ideas in how, is, is the halachic idea which is to believe that Hashem does not partner with anyone or anything in running anything of this world. Um, The word for that in Hebrew is shituf. Shituf, which is like a shutuf, which is a partner. Which means, if one were to believe that, you know, yes, God created the world. But, you know, it's tough running a whole world. So he has governors. He has, uh, you know, lieutenants. Um, constellations, stars, different things, and they serve as, you know, sub-heads, or heads of departments. This is where the earliest form of idolatry began. Maimonides talks about this, Rambam talks about this. How did people start becoming idolaters? How did that happen? God created Adam and Chava. They knew him on an name-to-name basis. So, so how do you start believing in, in, in you know, silly things? Where did that come from? So Rambam says that idolatry didn't start in one day. What's the, how to say Rome wasn't built in a day or something? So idolatry didn't start in a day. He says, what happened? It started with philosophers. And the first one was Enosh. And Enosh is a philosopher. And he says, you know, God is great and wondrous. 
He doesn't have time for everything. It's not, that's not a question of time. He has better things to do with his time than to run the things going on in this country and in that country. So he works with um, intermediaries. And he makes them in charge. And he gives them power. So therefore, he says, let's say if I'm, if I'm missing something, if I need a blessing in a certain area, don't bother God. He's, he's too busy. He's, he's, you know, he's on vacation. You talk to that star. And pray to that star or whatever. And hopefully the star will go to God and it'll get, get you some, get, get you an allowance. Now, once you have intermediaries, then it's already a question of time of how important those intermediaries become until they forgot about God and just believe in the intermediary. So Rambam actually describes the descent of idolatry, how it happened. But it happened from that one philosophical mistake, which is that there's others that are partners with God in actually making decisions and what's going on. That is when we, the second mitzvah, in addition to believing that there's a God, is that God is one and alone. That he doesn't work with others who tell him what to do or how to do, or anyone else who makes any decisions on what's going to happen. And therefore we can pray only to God. God will decide. No one else has decisions, no one else makes decisions. Um, and that is the basic halachic concept of Hashem Echad. Now, interestingly, and for reasons that I'm not going to get into now, Gentiles, we talked about the seven mitzvahs, they only have the first mitzvah, not the second. In other words, for, a, for, a, for the righteous Gentiles to follow the seven mitzvahs, they have to believe in that God is the creator. But they may believe that God then has other intermediaries that he works with. That's okay, according to most poskim and the accepted opinion in halacha. So for a non-Jew, as long as he knows that God is the super creator and the one who's ultimately in charge, but he also believes that there's other things in the middle, that is halachically okay for a non-Jew, but not for a Jew. Wouldn't that be considered a Not That would be considered a for a Jew. No, right. for a Gentile to believe that the star is like astrology, let's say. Maybe that's an so again, I don't know different types of astrology. I, I, I'm not going to talk about something I don't know. But if, if the Gentile knows that there is a superpower and a creator, and that creator is God, but he believes that there's other things in the middle that, they, that Hashem gave them powers to do things, and therefore I can talk to them and they can take care of things for me. Yeah, mediums, and the mediums have power. The mediums have power to do. Again, for us, that would be Avodazar. That would be against the mitzvah of Achdos Hashem. But for the guy, that would not be Avodazar as long as he knows who the supreme power is and the creator of all. And so I know I, this is obviously going to bring up religious questions, and I, I, I'm going to say it again. I, I'm not going to say about what I don't know. I don't know religions, I don't know what each one is doing. But the concept that Achdos Hashem is a Jewish concept, which is why we say Shema Yisrael. The Shema is, is specifically we're talking to Yisrael. Hashem Elokein knew Hashem is relating to us in a very intimate way and therefore Hashem Echad, there's nothing else to talk about. Okay. And that's a uniquely, there, there's a lot of explanation why this is such and perhaps next week maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. But why is it that for a Yid, Achdus Hashem is so important and for a, a guy it's not so important. But we'll, I'm going to leave that for now. This is the basic, simplistic level of what Achtos Hashem means. It means one God, one controlling power, nothing else, the only one we dive into, the only one we believe that anything comes from, and that's it. There's no other power over me. Which is really why he says, for example, sometimes very extreme statements like, Kol HaKoes Kilo Oved Avodazar. says one who gets angry in a sense that's idolatrous. What, what does anger have to do with idolatry? So the answer is simple. Because it, 
at that moment that I got angry, I forgot that there's only one source where everything is coming from. When I'm really angry at that person, how dare you did that to me? In that moment, I attributed, you know why this happened? Because that person wanted to do that to me. Real Amuna says, no, that's not why it happened. It happened because Hashem decided it should happen. That person made a bad choice, but that's not why it happened. The more we could remember that there's one source for anything that happens, then there's nothing to really be angry about and there's nothing to really be upset about, ultimately. We know we have one address, that is the sole um, creator, but not only creator originally, but the sole um, source where anything comes from and anything is decided. That's the simple taich of Ahtu session. The Zohar talks about a more Kabbalistical type um, explanation in Ahtas Hashem based on another verse that says in the Torah right before Shema. And that is, Ladas, you, uh, we say Hashem has showed himself to us so that we should know, Ki Hashem Hu HaElokim. Now, we know that there's two basic names of Hashem. There's others, but the two most basics are Hashem, which is the Yudke Vavke, and Elokim. Both of which we just say right here. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu. Says the Zohar, you know what Hashem Echad means? That Hashem and Elokim are one. That's what the Zohar says. Now, the Zohar, which is the primary uh, um, book of, um, of mysticism, doesn't spend a lot of time explaining things. It just says facts. So the Zohar says, you know what Achtus Hashem means? The oneness of Hashem's names. That the names even though the names seem to be such different facets and parts of Hashem, really they're one and the same. What does that mean? And, and uh, let's start in a simple, uh, the easiest um, understanding of that. The name Hashem Yudke Vavke is connected typically with Rachamim, with mercy, with Hashem's mercy. The name Elokim is typically connected with severity or concealment. So mercy is kindness, is revelation, and severity is concealment, is judgment. Or um, mercy will be revelation of godliness, Elohim will be nature, where godliness is hidden. So really there's two very powerful forces within godliness. There's the power of kindness and revelation and miracles and mercy versus strength, severity, justice, concealment. And these are the two forms and powers through which Hashem connects with us. There's times when we feel the mercy, there's times when we feel the kindness, there's times when we feel the darkness, the severity. There's times when there's a glimpse of revelation, there's times of total concealment. Two parts of Hashem. But there's two times mercy versus one time... When, when we're saying Hashem Echad, at the end. Right, Hashem but, right, Hashem... Right, but really it's Hashem Elokeinu, Kama Hashem Echad. We're saying that even though there's Hashem and Elokeinu, it's really all Hashem Echad. That's what we're saying. Because Yud Kibavki is the essential name of Hashem. It's the, it's the deeper name of Hashem. You put the, the Kama in. I hear you, right. If you read it the other way, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem. Interesting. But I think the, the typical reading of it is Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Because then you could say the Echad has to do with Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem. That's all Echad. <clears throat> interesting, interesting. I would like to believe it's more mercy than judgment. Could be, could be. <laughs> well, that, either, way, either way, that's the essence of Hashem. Yeah. That's what the essence of Hashem is. So what the Zohar is telling us is a very foundational idea, 
that although Hashem has these seemingly two sides to his personality, if you will, or the way he created, the way he deals with anything, they're not two. They're, they're one and the same. The severity is an expression of his kindness. The concealment is only there to bring greater revelation. And these two work in total cohesion or fusion. Because it's not like Hashem has chesed days. In, see, the way we are, we have chesed and we have gvura. And sometimes we're just more gvuradik. Now, we like to believe that even then it's, we didn't forget our chesed. But, but we're, we're finite and we're human beings. And when one is at the fore, sometimes the other one is a little lost. We have to remind ourselves of that. But the Zohar is telling us by Hashem, it's not that way. It's not Hashem has chesed moments and gvura moments. At every moment of gvura is one and the same with Hashem's chesed. And that's the idea of gamzula tova. That's the idea that, that everything from Hashem, all concealment is for revelation. And all severity is for kindness. And the severity is an expression of an even deeper kindness. And that's the Hashem echad. That there isn't two forces of, of, within Hashem alone. And that's the difference, just to, just to clarify, between this explanation versus the first explanation. The first explanation says, there's one God and there isn't others. This explanation is saying, even God, there's only one. Within God, there isn't um, conflicting midos, or conflicting forms of how to connect to us. It's all one and the same. I'll, you know, I'll finish with, with something interesting. Who made the mistake, a famous mistake, about not understanding this point well? is the story of the Miraglim, the story of the spies. One of the most interesting or hard-to-understand stories of the Torah. What happens? Moshe Rabbeinu sends the spies, and they go to Israel, and they come back and say, no way, God can't conquer Israel. Impossible. What does that mean? These are people who just saw the miracles of God. They just saw the ten plagues. They saw the giving of... They saw, they saw the splitting of the Red Sea. I mean, how, you know, how foolish can you get? What do you mean he can't? So what does it say? So see, this says like this. Of course they knew God could. God could when he's in a revelation mode. When he's in a mode of, of holiness and re revelation and giving and supernatural. But God wants us to conquer the land of Israel and go into land in a natural way. Go in and have a war with them and become a natural nation. So if God is going to be working with his natural side, then we can conquer them. In other words, what they, what they were basically doing was creating a divide within God. There's God the supernatural. Yeah, he can do whatever he wants. But you want to talk God the natural? God the natural, then nature takes over. And what was their mistake? That there isn't two gods. There isn't two powers within God. There isn't the natural and the supernatural. If God wants naturally to take over, we'll take him over naturally. Nature and lack of nature only to us is two different forces. Not to Hashem. So they were thinking, you know, listen, Hashem wants natural, it's not going to work. Oh, supernatural? Then why are you sending me as a spy? Spies you need for natural. For in the natural, Hashem can't. And they created that schism between Hashem and Elohim. And what we're saying, says the Zohar, Hashem Elohim, Hashem Achad, it's one. There isn't different aspects and parts. It sounds different, it feels different, it looks different. But ultimately, it's the oneness of Hashem flows through all of it together. That's the second, that's the Zohar's interpretation of Hashem Achad. 
And I guess we'll leave the Hasidus interpretation for next class, Emir Hashem, next Monday Hashem night. Because Hashem did want the natural side. Mm-hmm. No, they, they weren't wrong. Hashem said, we're going to do this naturally. But in Hashem's nature, the supernature flows too. The, the supernatural flows in Hashem's nature. For Hashem, it's not a um, contradiction. That it's going to be in a natural way and nevertheless will we'll overcome them. That's another thing. You're very welcome. That, that's true as well. Right. But he agreed.